welcome back, everybody. It is a, another episode of Clubhouse Talk. We're, we're rolling into week two college football, rolling into week one NFL football. Um, so we're bringing back Brett as always. He's as always, he's kind of becoming a uh, perennial around here. We're, we're appreciating uh, his his expertise week in and week out. And for the uh, the longtime show listeners, those of us are our rider dies from from we, from episode one all the way to where we are now. We are uh, we got the band back together, Joe, after a long hiatus of of coaching his or our former uh, alma mater high school coaching their golf team busy summer we took the break off for the summer but joe is is back and ready and we're gonna we're gonna lean on him a lot i'm sure for the uh, ohio state Notre Dame recap but joe how are we doing we're doing good it feels good to be back hopefully it'll be a more regular thing now that i have a little bit more uh, time on my hands so happy to be back how did the golf season go last spring the boys didn't disappoint i mean i was i was surprised on just the quality of play and also like how much I enjoyed doing it. It was a lot more fun than I had originally expected. So I'm looking forward to next season and chasing that state title and living vicariously through these guys again. <laughs> Bringing back a little bit of those uh, competitive juices and the, uh, in the excitement of, of match day of, you know, matches and, and tournaments. Again. Oh yes. And driving a bus. Didn't think I'd pick <laughs> up that skill in the meantime. Hey, you know, you'll never know when you need in the future. You never know. Hopefully. Brad, Hopefully. Brad, how are we doing? Doing fantastic. Ready for some uh, for some full football weekends now with the NFL kicking off here. Is our uh, is our heart getting getting back uh, into regular rhythm after a long three quarters against North Dakota? Our first victory since Northwestern last year. Um did the victory beers how they taste out there? And uh, you know, like I said, how was how was the how was the vibe there going into that fourth quarter? Uh, well, to answer your first question, victory beers were a little stale after that. Uh, that that <laughs> game it was a little little scary, but uh, now the, the vibes were it, it was definitely weird. Um, I don't think anyone expected that to be any sort of a game at any point in the game, uh, but we ended up winning. Uh, pretty handily towards their their in the fourth quarter kind of broke away and kind of showed that we're the more talented team and the the deeper of the two teams. So wins a win in my book on a Georgia Southern now. Yeah. We'll see what the uh we'll see what the the Eagles can do. They you know they went down the swamp a few years ago. You never know. <laughs> yeah it's uh Clay Elton's gonna have them playing a different style of game than Georgia Southern fans might be used to. They're not going to run the ball as much anymore, and they're going to be more of an air raid offense. So, it's Joe and I know those added. boys in states, those boys in states, bro, they care about their football down there. What else do they have? You're right. There's there's not much else in Statesboro, Georgia. Uh, and for those who've ever been to Statesboro, I think you will probably agree with us. But nonetheless, um, week one, you know, week zero of college football, it felt like it was a it was an appetizer. It was it was just a little tiny taste and it, it warmed us up. And you know what? I think it was a good thing that we had that week zero, a little warm up because boy, there was a lot in week one, five straight days of college football, Thursday to Monday. And there were so many good games. I think it would have been a little bit of overload if we had just been thrown back into the waters like this. Um, Cause we, we got it started on Thursday night with a fantastic backyard brawl 
of Pitt, West Virginia, and it really rolled all the way through into Labor Day um, of a interesting, a boring, sloppy, interesting game of Georgia Tech Clemson and, and everything in between was, was a lot of fun. So, I mean, what, you, what were your guys' overall impressions before we kind of go into the, the bigger uh, games and, and kind of the, the big results? What were your guys' impressions from week one? It's just good to have it back, honestly. I mean, it. You, I, I've always thought you never really know who's who until conference play starts, but there are some pretty good non-conference matchups that were fairly eye-opening, and you know, I'm sure we'll dive into Georgia, Oregon, and you know, Utah, and, and Florida. Um, so I thought there was a lot of good games. I don't know if you saw the – I think the best game that I saw all weekend was NC State ECU. I don't know if you watched any of that, but I was glued to the TV – uh, for that one, but it was just like an unreal back and forth game. Um, but I, I just forgot how much I loved football and I knew I loved it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I totally agree with Joe. Um, great to have it back. Um, definitely some great games, some games I didn't expect the uh, outcome. I'm sure is uh We'll probably give you oh, some crap about. We will get we will get to the the dishing of of Oregon Georgia later on when we get to that game. So uh, yeah, you to will, say you to say it. I didn't expect that as an understatement. <laughs> um, no, I mean I we got so many fun games. Um, that that North Carolina uh, State ECU game was was crazy. The State North Carolina game to the the Florida State LSU game. There were a lot of very I would describe very college football games where just wild stuff happens that you would never see in the NFL, um, mostly because the players are much better and much smarter and would not make such poor decisions in crunch time. But you know what? It leads to the excitement that is college football. Um, a couple of upsets and like, like Joe alluded to some surprising results of teams struggling um, and, and so on and so forth, but we'll, we'll jump into it. So we'll go, let's start with, with, we'll just kind of do this chronologically um, night one. You had two really good games. Um, I actually didn't get to catch either of these live. Cause I was at the Tennessee game, but you had the backyard brawl for the first time in 11 years in Pitt, West Virginia. Um, and then you had a, what was also a really good game in Penn state Purdue, which I think was a huge game um, for James Franklin uh, this season. And I'm squeaking that one there. All right. Which one of those two do you guys want to dive into thoughts on those two games? Just take it away. Somebody. I was surprised how much Pitt struggled with West Virginia, to be honest. I thought they were going to roll them, um, but that was, that was a fist fight the whole way. Um, JT Daniels, is, I guess <laughs> we've been waiting for years for him to actually be a, a bona fide starter, and he's getting his chance. And he had a, a I mean, a fairly average game, to be honest. But I, I thought Pitt was going to go out there and manhandle him, and that wasn't the case. Yeah, both teams were flying around. Um, it was great to see. I mean, haven't played in 10 years, like you said, but there's sure no love lost between those two teams. They looked like they were both aggressive and both definitely made it look like it was a rivalry game. It was a bit of a heartbreaking way, I think, for West Virginia to to lose that game. Seems like they lose a lot of these backyard brawls in, in just the worst fashion possible. I, I caught some of the replays and in in, um, watched a little bit of it, but – they you had the fourth and inches call, which they decide not to go for it, punt it back. Um, pick goes down and scores, and then the the pick six was just absolute. I mean, that's a 
that's a, as easy of a pitch and catch as you get. Goes right through receiver's hands, bounces off of him. Guy takes it 50 yards for a touchdown. And then also the uh, the almost conversion on fourth and 20 by, you know, uh, half an inch trying to lift the ball off the turf. Um, it was as thrilling of a game as we could get. And it, it kind of really set us off to the races that weekend. And it's it's going to help set up. Um, a game that we'll talk about later of, of Pick getting that that big win coming off of the Kenny Pickett era and, and trying to replace him and Jordan Addison. And they look just pretty much just as good as they did last year, in in all honesty. I mean, I think it was more of West Virginia playing great than it was Pitt playing bad. Uh and so that'll be that'll be interesting to see how they you know respond from a big rivalry game next week with uh, just as big, if not bigger, of a game. Yeah, I watched that game with a West Virginia fan, uh, Ryan, who he's been on the podcast a few times. Um, born and raised in Nebraska, I have no idea why he's a West Virginia fan, but uh, he was on the edge of his seat that entire game. And it was great to see. Um, he was obviously very disappointed about the outcome, but yeah, like you said, college football's back and things like that happen, and that's what makes college football great. Oh, without a doubt. Um, and then you, you flip over into, uh, some half, you get a, you get a big upset of old dominion knocking off Virginia tech, which I don't know how, I mean, it was a six point spread going into it. This is on Friday. So I don't know how much you can call a six point spread a massive, uh, upset, but it is funny that old dominion as a program now has two wins over power five teams ever. Both of them have been West Virginia in the last three years. <laughs> uh, if I was West Virginia, I'd stop <laughs> scheduling old dominion personally, um, although they, they won't do it. Uh, they, they just signed on to a huge contract, which I think is going to be really fun having those, uh, teams, uh, these, these in-state rivalry games are always so fun with the kind of little brother attitude to, to big brother teams and the little brothers take them so seriously as we'll talk about the North Carolina schools after this, but that was a, that was an upset in the making. And then you flip over into, uh, into Saturday and we'll jump into the big games, but, uh, you know, did that upset you? Did that that upset surprise you? Um, was it just kind of college football being at its best? Of little dot, little brother wanted it more of uh, Friday night. Yeah, I mean, I I think so. I, I I mean, Virginia Tech was kind of an ACC powerhouse for the early two thousands, and it was gradually gradually faded after Beamer retired, and they, those teams have kind of lost their way, but they still have that big name. And if you're old Dominion, you're going to get up for that game. And if you're Virginia tech, you're probably not going to get too fired up for old dominion. So I think they just called him flat footed in the first game of the year. Tough way to start a uh, new, I I don't even, I can't remember who Virginia tech's coach is, but uh, tough way to start that, that new tenure there uh, over in Blacksburg. So we'll, we'll go into the big fun ones. Um, let's start with, we're on the topic of these little brother, big brothers. So let's go to two of the fun ones. Joe mentioned the NC state ECU game was absolutely ridiculous. And at the exact same time going on was uh, what I personally thought was the game of the weekend, um, in UNC app state. Uh, that game was, it's really hard to score six touchdowns in the fourth quarter and still lose a game. And App State found a way to do that. Um, but we'll, we'll go with the ECU game first, and then we'll jump over to the App State because I think uh, that, that game will take a little bit more. So the ECU one, Joe, because you watched it. I was glued in on App State. What what on earth was going on in that game over there in uh, – oh, gosh, I forget where, where ECU is. But that's a, and it's not an easy place to play. 
no, I mean, you could tell the fans were into it the whole game. And, and I didn't think that NC State played a bad game, um, but it seemed like every time that they had a big play, ECU countered um, defensively. Uh, NC State had a drive pretty much to put away the game and tried to throw a pass out to the sideline, got intercepted, um, went down and scored and had an extra point to tie it. Laces at the kicker, missed it. And <laughs> I, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. I was so captured by just like the highs and lows of that game. It, it seemed like the momentum was switching like a pendulum the whole time. It was just a fantastic football game. And that, I mean, I watched that game from first quarter to finish, which I, you know, rarely do with two teams that I don't have much of a dog in the fight on. Uh, and it was just phenomenal football. And yeah, I, feel I, for the I think you do. And I, I don't think NC State's a, a bad football team. So I think ECU, you know, might have something there. I mean, defensively, they looked really solid and really fast. So you know, we'll see what the, the season holds for them. I have no idea what the rest of their schedule looks like, but I wouldn't want to play them. Oh, Brett, how are we feeling on our uh, NC State ACC champion picks? And how are we feeling on our NC State into the playoff pick? Uh, sweating a little bit going into that uh, those last few minutes? No, I'm not wavered at all. Um, I think it's one of those situations where ECU got up for the game and NC State didn't, frankly. Um, I think they caught him a little bit flat-footed. Uh, Devin Leary definitely had some ups and downs throughout the game, but I, I'm sticking by my pick, and I think he's a great quarterback. I think this could be a great team. Um, and it's not like ECU is a bad team either. Um, whether they're the American Conference. They were talking uh, during yeah. the coverage that um, ECU picked up a couple of Power Five guys in the transfer portal this year um, that were, you know, sort of depth guys for, you know, SEC Big Ten teams that were, you know, getting starting roles there. So they had definitely a talent boost, which is, I think this year is going to be really interesting to watch how I think this is the first year that the NIL and the transfer portal is really going to affect it because recruiting has been changed so much over the last two years. A lot of it's going to come to fruition this year. Yeah, agreed. It's going to help all these smaller schools. You're right, Joe. <clears throat> yeah, because, I mean, they get these guys out of high school that want to sign with the big schools, but then they get there and they're losing starting jobs and they're looking at, you know, potentially not playing at all their whole career. You, know, you bounce out to another team and, and see if you can start there and maybe make a name for yourself. But I think that's there's going to be more of that. Yeah, I think the transfer portal brings a little bit of parity to college football. Um, maybe not at the top because your top teams are still going to get the best players. Um, your Alabamas, Clemsons, Ohio State, teams like that, Georgia. But I, I think outside of that, I think this does bring a lot of parity. And these teams that are considered lower-level teams can rise up more so to the top than they would have been able to in the past. Yeah, it's going to – that the gap from – say your fourth best team in the country to your 10th, 15th best team in the country is really going to narrow. It's, it's going to be hard to, to, to cement or, you know, to get up there to the top three um, without years and years of, of work. Um, I look at like what Kirby Smart has done at Georgia. It's taken them so many, it took them five, six years to get it built up to where they are, but uh, it, it's going to at least start bringing in a lot more people into that, that, second tier of teams i think it's going to help those teams um switch out a lot more 
Mm-hmm. So, um, the the North Carolina App State game was, like I said, ridiculously as wild of a. It was sixty two to sixty, I believe, or sixty three sixty one final score. Um, App State scored six touchdowns in the final. They were up twenty one to seven. Then I think North Carolina rattled off thirty three of the next forty four points in the game, and then. They're down 20, App State's down 21 in the fourth quarter. They keep trading touchdowns. Um, you have a UNC guy make a bonehead move of you of returning an onside kick for a touchdown, and then App State goes down the field in 30 seconds. Uh, two missed point conversion or two two-point conversions failed. One of them that may have won, uh, probably wouldn't have won them the game looking back on it because if they converted, I'm guessing North Carolina probably goes down and scores at least a field goal. Um, with how they were moving the ball, but at least they gave it a chance. Um, that that game was just as crazy and wild. And I think UNC has got a serious defensive problem. But I will say, uh, their quarterback there, um, Luke is it Luke May? Uh, is Luke, their quarterback? Luke May played Luke May played basketball for them about five oh, it's, years it's ago. Luke, it's Drake. Luke May's brother. Are they brothers? Yeah, it's, it's his little brother. Oh my. Okay, well Drake May, the quarterback, is an incredible athlete as well. Um, yeah, he had a that great kid game. is going to be special. There. Yeah, he 350 passing yards, four touchdowns, and he is only a freshman. If he can continue this, he is going to be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, North Carolina football player of all time. If you watch North Carolina this year, the only thing I can tell you is bet the over. There will be no defense, but boy, will they can, I mean, they couldn't stop FAMU week one. Um, with seven offensive linemen, uh, they if, if you can't stop Florida, Florida AM, you're not stopping anybody, and App State proved that. And so, if North Carolina is going to win games, which they might, it's going to be because they're going to go out there and he's going to throw for 400 yards a week. So, it's going to be fun. Um, Gene Chiswick's not doing a very hot uh job to start off his career again back in college coaching and defense. He looks like he did at Auburn, um, for, quite frankly, but. <laughs> But no, it'll be entertaining. If nonetheless, I, I think the ACC has got some some entertaining stuff going on because I think as we talk about you know these games, the ACC looks wide open. I mean, Clemson looked like crap on Sun on Monday night against Georgia Tech. Um, Louisville looked terrible against Syracuse. Uh, Miami looked all right. Um, NC BC State lost. Struck- BC lost to Rutgers. Yeah, BC loses to Rutgers. I mean. You just have a you're gonna have, I think, a lot of parity in the ACC. And unless somebody figures it out quick, there it there might not be a playoff team again coming to the ACC if they're just gonna beat up on each other, which is the way I look after one week. That's the way I see it going forward. Is they're just gonna be beating up on each other. Yeah, I mean, I I don't don't think Clemson certainly looked like the Clemson of not last year, but the you know, the five years prior. Um, you know. I know they started slow last year and they put together a pretty good season by the end of it, but um, I don't think Georgia Tech came out there and surprised them with how good they were. I, I didn't think that they were that great either. I think it was just two pretty mediocre football teams playing sloppy against each other. EJ Uwalonga Way or whatever. Is he played terrible. Not, not picking it up. No, he, he has not played good. I mean, what I will say about Tech is their their defensive front looks great. Um, basically, the only thing Clemson's able to do is run the ball, and they did a very good job at stopping the run and um, also hurrying the quarterback. 
Yeah, Tech, Tech didn't have much in the way on the offensive side. They really just had slip screens was about their only thing because their quarterback had a grand total of about two seconds to throw the ball every time they dropped back. Um, their their O line was was horrific, but I mean, I I really raised the red flag on Clemson, and he and you know you got a couple weeks of of you know kind of. Uh, no nothing opponents and come you got three games to figure out your quarterback situation because come October 1st you're going to play NC State and that that game is going to be huge for the rest of the standings you're going to obviously have a tiebreaker between those two teams I think those probably still are the best two teams in the ACC as we stand today Um, so you got you got a choice between now and then to figure out who on earth is going to be starting for you and I had to say right now I don't think it's going to be DJ I mean, Klubnik came out and played pretty good. I mean, he, he didn't – he completed every pass he threw, I'm pretty sure. He might have one in completion. But um, if you're talking about a quarterback that can change your offense, out of the two of them, I'm taking I'm taking the, the freshman. I mean, at this point, you might as well. I mean, why stick with the guy who's had, you know, basically three years to learn the offense and run it and hasn't proven to be able to do it very well? He got some playing worse. time when Trevor Lawrence was still there, and he he looked really good his freshman year. And has yeah, in twenty twenty he looked amazing. He came in that first game against I think it was Boston College and threw for like four hundred yards or something and brought them back to a win. And then um, you turn around the next week and he lights up, has a shootout against Notre Dame in South Bend in a thriller, and looked great. And then last year was horrific the whole year and it's no better so far to start the year this year. Um, so if, if I was a Clemson fan, I'd be, I'd be quite worried about where my offense stands going into this uh, season because as good as that defense is, they're not going to be able to stop everybody the way that they stop attack. So, um, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be interesting. And obviously Dabo's replacing a lot there. He's replacing both of his coordinators. Um, you know, it's... I think this is a really telling time for what Clemson is in the grand scheme of a dynasty because they've now run their run through the mill of their their big quarterbacks. You have Taj Boyd, um, Kelly Bryant for a year, and then obviously you have the generational challenge for Lawrence, and you were generation you know team for three years, and they have been the same without their generational talent to be. And Deshaun Watson sprinkled in there too. Yeah, so, I was <laughs> going to say Deshaun, Deshaun doesn't exist or what? <laughs> well, you know what? There's too many. of They had a good run there. There's too many of them to remember them all. Too yeah, many of them to too. remember them all. Uh, let's let, let's stick it in the South for a uh, – Brad, I want to get this one over with because, you know what, you probably have, are dreading this, have been dreading this, and that was the dismantling. Um, I, I think they – I think if you watched this game past the first quarter, you are you were a Georgia fan, and outside of that, I have no clue why you were watching a murder on on national television, and that was Georgia beating down on on Oregon. They had touchdowns on their first seven straight drives. Uh, Oregon did absolutely nothing the entire game, and I believe it was forty nine to three. I want to say the final score was, um, yeah, just ugly from the from the start. And I think that this is, I think this game was far more about what Georgia replaced themselves with and are continuing to be Alabama 2.0 factory than it is Oregon being a terrible team. 
I'll be the first one to admit it. I was completely wrong about Georgia. Um, I think they're, I think they're a good team. They obviously showed that, um, kind of, kind of hurts when you can't get to the quarterback. Um, Oregon had zero QB hurries and zero <laughs> sacks. And they did that on the back of two Nebraska transfers. They couldn't play the three and nine Nebraska team last year. Um, two, two defensive linemen transferred to Oregon and started for Oregon um, under their D-line coach, Tony Thierry, who was our D-line coach last year. And it does not surprise me at all that they couldn't rush the quarterback because they couldn't do it against Illinois last year. You're not doing it against Illinois. You're not doing it against Georgia's big boys. No, you're definitely not. Yeah, that was a – it's like the continuation of this trend where every year there's a hyped-up game between Alabama or Georgia or some other SEC powerhouse against an an out-of-conference seemingly – good team that just gets absolutely steamrolled um i mean and i can't say i was surprised because i mean bo Nix has just such a wonderful track record playing against georgia (laughs) that he didn't go out there and light them up but i mean i thought georgia was going to be better than i think some people alluded to um, because of how many people they lost but i didn't expect them to be that good i thought it would be like a 35 14 game where it was, you know, just competitive enough to maybe leave the TV on. But, yeah, that that seems to me like they're the team of old. And I I think the jury's got to be out on Stetson Bennett. I mean, the guy is just a good college football quarterback. I mean, he might not be the next big thing in the NFL and might not be able to compete well at the next level, but he's a damn good college football quarterback, and, and he manages the game well. And um, can also go out there and prove that he can win the game too. So, I mean, uh, when you surround the guy with top talent, when you surround him with top talent, he's not going to screw you up. And that's all Kirby Smart needs him to do. And he's gotten better to the point where I don't know if he's ready to bring him back from down 14 against a legitimate opponent, it, say like an Alabama. Um, but I do think that he's more than capable of keeping them in every single game and winning them a game. It's just, I don't know if he can him back from the deficit. That's the only thing I haven't ever seen from him. But yeah, I think that I think everyone's got to have their decision made on on Stetson Bennett by now, which is that he is more than serviceable. He reminds me of an AJ McCarron. Um, he's not going to wow you with his his legs or his his arm talent, but he's going to do the things that are right that are going to win you the game. He's not going to mess up. And I know people bash Kirby Smart about not taking risks on quarterbacks that are playmakers, but I mean, if you have the type of defense and the type of skill players that surround your quarterback that Georgia has, you're, you're not going to need a Johnny Menzel or a Braxton Miller type quarterback who goes out and just lights it up and makes plays on his own. It's the yeah. Saban model. I mean, until Saban got Tua and you know, Jalen Hurts, he always just had game managing quarterbacks that you know, could put it together. I mean, AJ McCarron, um, Sims, Blake Sims, yeah, yeah. I mean, he had all those guys that didn't wow you, but they just knew how Greg to run offense. Yeah, exactly. Guys like that. I mean, if yeah. it ain't broke, don't fix it. It's it seems to be working for him. I mean, I don't know that if they play like that the rest of the year, other than Bama, I don't know who's going to touch them. I, I was going to say their schedule is is easy to a. I mean, being in the East obviously helps. They don't have very many difficult games. They get. 
they go on the road to Mississippi State late in the year, which might be interesting. Um, you go on the road to Kentucky, which we'll see where they are in November. You get Tennessee at home, and then you've owned Florida for a long time, um, which I think we'll we'll talk about Florida here in a second because they they look a little different than I think a lot of us were probably going into week one thinking about. But, yeah, th- this Georgia team looks poised and ready to make a full run again and still very much at the top tier college football landscape. Yeah, and I mean, I don't think Oregon is a top 10, probably not top 15 team, but I'd say they're probably a top 30 team. Oh, yeah. They're still just like non-competitive. Yeah. I, what did you – I don't know if you guys saw this. Um, last thing on this. I don't know if you saw this from Kirby Smart's press conference after the game. But obviously, uh, Dan Lemming was the is the new head coach there at Oregon, um, came from Georgia. And Kirby it flat out said in his press conference that he's like, Dan won't admit it, but – we have we have better players than Oregon, and he knows it. He knew this was going to happen. He just won't admit it. And well, I mean, you can't I, admit that. You can't admit that I, your players are bad. What do you? I know, but that? I guess it's just the brazen nature to just come <laughs> out and say, like, yeah, no, we're just that much better than them. Yeah, I mean, it definitely takes a little bit of stones to say that publicly, but I mean, it it's the truth. Yeah. So, Brett, did you think it was overboard? Too brazen. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, is the Pac-12 dead after this weekend? Because yes. I think all of us, all of us on the podcast last week, were talking this um, that I didn't think Florida was going to be good. Um, I thought they were going to be average. I thought Utah was a great team, which I actually still think Utah is a good team. But I did not expect Anthony Richardson to do what Anthony Richardson did, which was he flat out won them the game and he looked like a complete difference maker quarterback. And I don't know what Dan Mullen has been thinking having Emory Jones start over him all last year. I think Dan Mullen's still coaching there if he plays Anthony Richardson last year because Florida looked like a team on a mission and Utah's got to be kicking themselves. They, they gave away a lot of points in that game, but uh, hats off because the Billy Napier era could not have started any better. Agreed. But to answer your question, I do think the Pac-12 is dead. I think to get a team in the playoff, the Pac-12 would need an undefeated champion. And I don't see USC as good as they looked against Rice or whoever they played. I don't don't see USC going undefeated. I I think they slip up against whether it be – I think they play Oregon and Utah, actually. Yeah, they got both on their schedule. um, I I think they'll slip up somewhere and – I, I don't think USC will give them that playoff berth either. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think I think they could. I wouldn't be surprised if they went undefeated, but just after seeing Oregon and Utah, but I think it would just be too much too soon with Lincoln Riley coming in there and, and bringing in all those guys that he transferred to put, put together a team that's going to win. Because um, I think winning is a culture that takes time to develop, and USC hasn't been that for, you know, since I guess Pete Carroll really. Yeah, it's been um, 10, 10, 15 years, really. Yeah. So no, I, I agree. And I think if it if it came down to a one, maybe even a two loss SEC team or a, a one loss USC, it's it's a yeah. no conversation. It really sucks though. I mean it it <clears throat> I hate that you have a team as good as Utah and we we hurt them so much 
for actually taking the risk of going on the road and playing a great first game when if they just rolled out there and go beat, you know, Sam Houston State 59 to zero, we'd be talking about them as Pac-12 contenders and playoff contenders still. And then they go on the road to Florida. And uh, I mean, not that I think that one loss kills them. And especially if this is their one and only loss, I think that they might have a fighting chance. We've seen that teams that lose early and win everything else out have a better better record of trying to squeeze their way in than those that lose late. Um, but now, obviously, Utah has to be completely scotch-free from here, go win the Pac-12, and then have their one loss be a close week one loss to Florida. And they probably need Florida to play well the rest of the season, too. Yeah, I mean, Florida. If, if that looks like a fluke and Florida goes out this weekend and gets blasted by Kentucky and gets blasted by Tennessee in two weeks – and, you know, they go seven and five, eight and four, then, yeah, that, that looks a lot worse than if they go nine and three and give, you know, Georgia a scare and all that. Yeah, because the committee puts a big emphasis on best losses or whatever yeah. their technical term for it is. Quality of loss, yeah. Yeah. Strength of record, all that good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I. I, I, it's funny. It seems like this happens to the Pac-12 every year. They they go play SEC or Big Ten teams, and aside from Oregon last year, it tends to uh, end up very poorly for the the for the Pac-12 out there. And this is not a very good time to do it when they're trying to get a new media deal. They might lose. They've already lost USC, UCLA. Might lose Oregon. Uh, tough times out west. Tough. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Oregon uh, wants to go after that. <laughs> <laughs> they, they might need to stick around. I, they didn't do a very good uh, Big Ten audition. We'll, we'll put it that way. Um, two more two more good ones to, to recap. Um, Arkansas-Cincy. Uh, Cincinnati, I think, looked good. They had a whole bunch of pre-snap penalties and other, other poor decisions that, that cost them this game. But Arkansas... KJ Jefferson looked fantastic. And if you ask me right now who the third best team in the SEC is, I'm telling you it's Arkansas. And I don't have, you know, too much doubt in my mind on that one. It's it's Bama, Georgia, one, two, and then I think Arkansas's third best team in the SEC. I still think AM's third best team, in my in my opinion. Um, I know they didn't show up like everyone thought they would. I guess I think Sam Houston State was who they played. Yeah. Um but no, I, I think I think Arkansas played a good game. I think KJ Jefferson's really good. Um, I was surprised with how, what kind of fight uh, Bearcats put up. Um, their quarterback played a pretty solid game, and their defense looked a lot better than I thought it would. Um, losing four players in your secondary is never easy to come back from, and their secondary looks pretty decent, honestly. Um, KJ Jefferson was held to under 250 yards, so. I was surprised by Cincinnati as well. I thought they were kind of going to get rolled over and got sort of a, a courtesy ranking from where they were last year after you know, losing Jasmine Ritter, who's kind of the, the heart and soul of that team. And they, they played well. I think they're a good team. They'll probably stick around in the top 25, I imagine, as the season progresses. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'd like to see more out of both – AM and Arkansas, it's just tough off week one, like I was saying earlier, but um, I think it's kind of tough to go out there and try to obliterate Sam Houston State. You've probably got eyes forward. 
to some bigger games down season. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, Fickle's always going to have his teams well coached. Um, yeah, he's a good discipline coach. Question for you guys. Where he's an Ohio State guy, correct? Yeah. Fickle, yeah. Ryan Day probably is leaving anytime soon. Where, what other job do you think he would take, or would he take another job with Cincinnati going to the Big Twelve? Um, I, I think Ohio he State. waits. I think he waits and sees what Ryan Day does this year because, in my personal opinion, with the talent that Ryan Day has had. If he doesn't win a national championship or, you know, if he doesn't make the playoff and compete for the national championship, I think his seat's going to get hot there quicker than people expect because Ohio State hasn't won an Addy since, what was the first playoff? 26, 14 or 6, was it 14? 14. Yeah, so they haven't won one in nine or eight years. Um, People in Ohio State, they expect national championships, and they expect them not yearly, but they expect them every few years in a cycle. And so if you're not winning it, I think that his seat will get hotter and he might wait. But if you see Ohio State compete as well as we think they will this year um, and go through the playoff and potentially play for the national championship, then I don't know where he goes because I think he's someone that's not going to be looking for a rebuild project I think he's someone that wants to go where he can go get the job done and go win a national championship. Yeah, I think it's tough. I mean, as a Ohio State fan, looking at the way that coaches in, in my lifetime have been graded, it's national titles and how they do against Michigan. Um, so even if they don't, I mean, the, the two kind of go hand in hand. If, if Day loses to Michigan, it seems to be getting better and better under Harbaugh, unfortunately. Um, that'll warm up his seat a little bit. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think if there was a compelling enough, I don't see him fitting well in the SEC. Truthfully, I don't know that he could coach like a, I don't even know what the next SEC opportunity potentially opening up would be. Um, but I don't know that he would be ready to coach a, a top tier SEC team. And I, I personally, I thought he was going to be um, the next Notre Dame coach when that seat opened up. And I, I think that he was just in too good of a situation at Cincinnati to bite on it. Um, so I think I kind of agree with Kylie. I think he's going to wait out the day situation while he's you know, in a good seat at Cincinnati. I, I mean, there's really no harm in him doing it um, and waiting for the right job. He has no rush. He's getting paid handsomely there. Um, and they're clearly not going to – he's doing well there, and he like, seems to like it around there. Um, maybe, depending upon what Penn State does this year, you could be talking about James Franklin being on the hot seat. He, he's in and out of it every year. Um, or if James Franklin just wants to get out of Happy Valley, um, I think that might be a potential location um, for him that I could see. But, yeah, I think it'd be a Big Ten or, or SEC because I think he's also got to look at the future and say – where is where's the college football landscape going? And it's those two conferences. Yeah. I mean, one interesting name and they didn't directly connect fickle with this hire, but LS LSU, I know they just hired Brian Kelly, but with the fan base already kind of turning on him um, with all of the stuff that happened in the off season and him <laughs> kind of showing he was not loyal at all to his players at Notre Dame. Uh 
if that job were to open up, I think that would be an intriguing one for him. Um, I think he'd jump for that in a heartbeat. Yeah, I mean, he it's, is. Go ahead. They don't. They wouldn't necessarily be a rebuild because they have all the tools that they that they need to be good right now. Um, they have talent. They have a fan base that cares about them. They have the NIL money to do whatever, whatever they they want. Um, it's it's coaching. Uh, Edo obviously was was a, kind of a, a paper tiger. Um, don't get me wrong. His his national championship is a, team was amazing, and they did lose a ton of players, but he didn't really do much after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I think that would be an interesting interesting job for him to consider. I think it would because he Fickle's big, and he's a big players coach, um, mm-hmm. which I think historically has worked well at LSU between Les Miles and, and Coach O. Both those guys were kind of interesting characters, but they were both you know big players guy. But I think he would add to the discipline side of of the equation where he can do a lot with a little. Um, that you know, I think the whole <laughs> the whole Brian Kelly spectacle is just frankly odd to me i mean between you know, the the fake accent and the uh the bickering with the media and the dancing around recruits i and i'm not just saying that as like a bitter notre dame fan for losing the guy but, but um it i just don't see it lasting um i think paul feinbaum said it best it's like you pay 10 million bucks for that and, and i get he inherited kind of a mess of LSU being pretty much just left after the national title. Coach O took a few years off, but I mean, I don't think Florida State's good. And that just the special teams is a telling sign of a team's overall discipline. Two muff kicks, two block punts. It's like those are the little things that just aren't getting coached. You've got you've got players wiping social media or wiping, you know, statuses out of their social media, which I mean, I'm not saying that means they showed up to film the next day. So I mean, I'm not saying they're gonna transfer, but clearly they're Ke- not happy. Keyshawn Boutte, their their leading wide receiver, is transferring. Um, and they lost a top one hundred linebacker over the summer because he wasn't getting along with Kelly. I mean, yeah. You're losing you're losing great players because of your coaching situation. And if and, and I'll tell you, they, they won't sit around on him for long at, at LSU. That's not a school mm-hmm. that's going to sit and watch a dumpster fire for years. They will, they will cut yeah. ties quick. And, you know, maybe it was just a, sometimes everything looks good on paper and it doesn't work out in the long run. Um, so it, it'll be something to monitor as the season goes on because LSU looked clearly like the worst team in the SEC after, after week one. Which Another interesting Kelly point. So when he left to go to LSU, he like actively tried to bring all of his big coaches and coordinators with him. And anybody want to take a guess of the only coordinator that followed him to LSU? Yeah. Special teams. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel for LSU because I think they, they just kind of missed it on the fit and, you know, we'll see, obviously we'll, and we'll be able to look at more as we get into the season. Um, but that was just – it was classic Brian Kelly, like not aggressive, just kind of stand there and, and look like a deer in headlights as the game's just unfolding in front of him. I think Notre Dame 100% won that. Marcus Freeman is a stud. I think, man. I think – I love him. And I'm not even like a, a true like Notre Dame fan, but I, I have grown to kind of like Notre Dame just – because of the culture that Marcus Freeman's building up there. I mean, his players love him. Seems mm-hmm. like a smart coach schematically. 
Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see where they, where they kind of end up with all this new college football. Um, I mean, they more than held their own on Saturday in the, in the horseshoe. Oh, yeah. They, they, it looked just like what it seems like it seems to happen to Notre Dame a lot nowadays in these big games, which is that they're more competitive than people expect them to be. Um, they just don't have the horses to win it out in the end. And then somehow you get the take that Notre Dame is overrated and they always lose these games and they should never be ranked as high while you're also like trying to dismiss Ohio state at the same there, you're you have people dismissing both sides, which makes no sense to me. It's like, you got to give credit to at least one of the teams here. Um, and so, yeah, it was uh, interesting to see how people wanted to handle that, but I was I was very impressed. I thought Notre Dame would cover that game. I did not expect them to do as well as they did because that defense absolutely flew out of Ohio State. I think that what we saw from Notre Dame is kind of what to expect for the rest of the year. It's just really solid defensive football. Um, and I, I think, you know, they got a young, inexperienced quarterback at the helm, so I think they're going to struggle to put up points against the – the better teams and, and are probably just going to have to win defensively. But I thought they played a really good game. I mean, they had, they gave themselves a chance to win it on the road in one of the more difficult environments to play in um, against a very good team and a very high powered offense to only hold them to, you know, 21 points. I thought was just exceptional overall play. So to me, anybody who's sitting there saying that Notre Dame isn't a good team and is not a, you know, a top 10 team, I, I would disagree with that. Um, and on the other side, I don't think Ohio State really played bad. I think that, you know, Notre Dame's just a good football team. I think Ohio State solved some of the problems from last season where they couldn't hold anybody to under 40 points. And, um, you know, I thought that was just two good teams playing it out, and I think the better team won. That's a that's a game Ohio State loses last year. Certainly. Last, year yeah. la- last year's team loses that game because they didn't know what to do when they couldn't throw the ball for 500 yards for everyone. Mm-hmm. Those were the games that they lost. Look at Oregon, look at Michigan, and they figured it out. So as ugly as it was, I think that they will look just fine come end of the year. Um, I think that they're still just as dangerous as they were coming into it. But, um, you know, that it should be a sign for improvement if you ask me. I agree. All right, anything to, to add on this? No, well, I agree there too. That's a good point. Um, so let's, let's take a look then at, at this weekend. Um, I would say it's a little bit lighter than it was week one. Um, but you still have a, a pretty decent lineup of some, of some big games. Some are, uh, more higher brand names and some I think could be some really entertaining games. So we'll start with, uh, what everyone will call quote the game of the week, but I don't think this is going to be much of a game personally, as you look at it. And that is uh, Alabama going on the road to Texas, which I didn't realize this. This is a really unique thing. This is the first true non-conference road game Saban has played. He just doesn't do this. Um, That's wild. Yeah. They actually have the longest active streak of not winning a non-conference road game of any team in the nation, which seems weird to say, but it's because they just don't play them. (laughs) Um, I think that streak's going to end this Saturday. I'm not saying Texas is going to hang around with Bama, but I guess the, the better question is not will Texas win. 
The better question is, does Texas cover the spread? And that's 19 and a half. Does Texas keep this uh, thing within 19? No. No, <laughs> I don't think so. Um, uh, yeah. I think this is just another UGA Oregon. It's like a, two big name schools and one of them is just a lot better and they're going to get a little bit of hype because of the fan base in Texas and I, Texas isn't back and they won't be this year. And um, yeah, no, I have nothing else to add. Yeah, I agree. I, I think Texas, I, I don't even think they upgraded at quarterback. Um, I'm not sold on Quinn Ewers. I still think Hudson Card by the end of the season could be their guy. Um, and I, I would not be scared at all to bet the or the to bet Alabama on the spread here. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be very pretty. Um, uh, the only way Texas sticks around this game is if um, is if Bama makes uncharacteristic mistakes. They're going to have to make mistakes and have to make mistakes early. Let Texas have the momentum, and that's that's how you stick around this game with your Texas. You need interceptions, you need fumbles, you need kickoff returns. Something to flip the script early in the first half. Um, if you want to do this, because I don't think you're going to get in a shootout with Bama. So I, you need something to, to just make them think a little more. But I'm with you guys. I think this is not, not a very pretty game. Um, this will be, once again, Texas is not back. Um, what I think, there's two really good SEC games. This is the one that nobody is talking about, but I think is a very important game for both of these teams' season trajectory, and that's Arkansas-South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina going on the road to Arkansas. We saw how good Arkansas was to Cincinnati. They were a six-and-a-half-point spread or favorite over Cincinnati. They're an eight-and-a-half-point favorite over Arkansas or over South Carolina. So Vegas is saying – South Carolina and Cincinnati are equivalent teams. You had a lot of hype on Spencer Rattler and all the transfers going in there to South Carolina. Um, South Carolina looked struggled with Georgia State for a little while, um, put them away at the end due to a couple blocked punts for touchdowns. Um, where do you where do you see this? Is is Arkansas going to start to solidify that top tier? Hey, we're the third, fourth, fifth best team in the SEC. Or is uh, South Carolina going to kind of claim like, "Hey, our off-season hype is real"? Uh, I mean, I think the Spencer Rattler element is certainly interesting, um, but I think eight points is a little healthy for me. I, I mean, I I don't think South Carolina would be competitive against Cincinnati personally, to be honest. Um, I think, again, these things take time to put together and, and the transfer portal is great to get a piece here or there. But when you kind of revamp your whole team and you bring in a guy like Spencer Rattler, who's you know, very much a, hey, this is it's about me sort of deal. I don't I, I don't think it's going to translate well into the win loss column. It might help him you know, boost his draft stock. But um, no, I, I think Arkansas takes care of business pretty handedly here. I think if. Arkansas's defense, specifically their defensive line, um, who had eight tackles for loss and three sacks last week. If they look anything like last week, Spencer Rattler is going to get killed because South Carolina's offensive line looked terrible. 
Um, I would also not be scared to bet Arkansas in this game. Um, I think KJ Jefferson's definitely good enough to beat South Carolina, and I'm not buying into the hype. No, I rarely look terrible. Um, I, I don't think Beamer Ball, as they want to call it down there in South Carolina, is picking up any real traction in steam. I mean, this game is going to be on the road in a hostile environment. Shane Beamer's not ready for this. I, I got the Hogs, and I got them handily. I think this is 14-, 17-point victory. I think that this is a, a pretty easy one for them down there in Fayetteville. Um, I think that South Carolina, they're improved, but I don't think that they're ready for this. Yet. I, I, a lot of this hype for South Carolina annoys me because you look at it, and it started last year, and they're like, well, they got two big wins at the end of the year. Those Auburn and Florida teams had given up. And then you go out and you get uh, Rattler's solid, but it's still not, still not great. Um, and I just don't think that this talent that people expect South Carolina to have is just, I don't think it's to show up yet. I think that they need a lot more time. Um, so I think it's just all overblown by some, some big wins against bad opponents last year. And I think the high train kind of comes to a, comes to a screeching halt this weekend. In um, flip over to the big afternoon game. And that is, uh, that's the game that yours truly will be traveling to. And that is, uh, Pitt, Tennessee. As a fan, I am terrified of this game because <laughs> I don't like Tennessee being a road favorite any to anybody, especially a team that's as solid as Pittsburgh. Um, I thought coming into this game, I had this penciled in as a win and, as good as I think Tennessee is, this is going to be no easy feat this weekend um, going on the road. But I think that this is kind of the real put-up-or-shut-up time for where Tennessee's factoring this. Um, if you can go up there and you can win on the road to Pitt- at Pittsburgh, I think it's full-blown. You've got something rolling, and I'm definitely afraid if we go up there and we lose, then it's going to be, well, we're right back to where we were, and it, it comes to a screeching halt. But I'd like to know where you guys stand on this um, on this game and, and what you think and expect to happen as you see from an outsider's perspective. I think it's going to be a big test for your defense. Um, you didn't necessarily have to play a whole lot of it um, in your first game. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, Pitt's offense looked good against West Virginia. I wouldn't say great, but they put up a good amount of points. And your guys' offense, is it's going to score. I mean, we all know that. I bet the over in this game. Um, but yeah, I think it comes down to defense. Can you guys get takeaways? Can you can you make stops and big moments? Um, I'm definitely gonna be watching the game. Uh, it's gonna be an exciting game. I I kind of disagree with the sentiment that it'll come to a screeching halt if, if Tennessee loses. I, I think Pitt's a good team, so I don't think there's any shame in going on the road and losing that game necessarily. Um, I that being said, I do think Tennessee will win. Uh, I think there's just they're you know a better team, and I think all in all, you know, probably a little bit of the nod to SEC talent and, and speed there that that'll get it done. But it it will be a good test, and I think if Tennessee goes on the road and wins that game, it's you know okay we got to you know, take this team seriously now. Um, where I mean, if, you know, if they go up, if they can do something special and look good. I think that will put some teams on their their schedule, i.e., you know, you're looking at Georgia and Bama, and I think they would think a little more heavily about the. Not that I, that I think they're scared of them, but they'll think more heavily about those games. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, um, that's right. It it'll it'll be it, it will be which defense makes a stop. Both offenses are high power. Um, I I think the way I look at it in a super in depth look i think it's going to be can tennessee run the ball against Pitt? can they kind of control it that way i don't think they have to go around and sling the ball i think and they want to run the ball so it's it's whether they can get get that that push to be able to kind of control it on their pace as they want um and wear them down and on the flip side it's can we get any pressure on the quarterback Um, our dbs are not top tier by any stretch we didn't get any sacks against Ball State, which I think is the misleading stat in itself because you're running a lot of blitzes and you're not trying to do a whole lot of special coverage um, in such a tight game. So if they if they get pressure on Keaton Slovis, that will help. It'll help their people on the back end because they're not going to be able to sit around and cover for five, six, seven seconds. They're going to need pressure. They're going to need to get the ball out of Slovis' hands and get his eyes coming back down from the middle of the field and, and looking down at the front of his offensive line. So uh, I think those are the two big two big battles to watch. But yeah, Tennessee is going to put up. They've they've scored 40, 40 points in five straight games. It's the first time they've ever done that in school history. Um, I think they're going to score points. It's just a matter of can you get the stops. So I'm pumped. I, this is first time I've done an out of conference road game. Um, I'm, I'm really excited about this one. I, I think it's going to be a really, really fun atmosphere for both games. Um, and then your last two nightcaps, Florida, Kentucky. Um, we talked about Florida, how they were more improved than we expected. Kentucky looked terrible, frankly, against Miami of Ohio. Um, people were picking them to be the second best team in the SEC East. Now they got to go on the road to the swamp. Um, obviously, they played Florida great the last few years, um, but before that, it was a long, long road of Florida winning this by a lot. Um, so Kentucky going to put up a fight and and steal the upset away and and kind of stop Florida's momentum, or is this going to be a top ten Florida team rolling into Neyland Stadium in two weeks? Um, a little bit of both. I, I think Florida wins this game, but I think Stoops will have a you know, game plan prepared where they, you know, won't get embarrassed. Um, but now I think unless Utah was bad, which I don't know that I think they are, I think Florida's just better this year. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I expect Florida to win probably by you know, 10-ish points. I think it'll be competitive, but I don't think Kentucky ultimately is going to be able to get it down on the road. It's a really tough environment to play in and, Florida might have some little, a little more fan involvement this year. Yeah, I totally agree, with Joe. Um, is Chris Rodriguez playing? No, he's not. Okay, and so that's a huge blow to Kentucky's offense because he is probably their best player on offense. I know a lot of people like Will Levis a lot, but I don't trust anyone who eats or drinks their coffee with mayo. That's yeah, if you weird. put mayo in your coffee, you, you can't be trusted. Um. But if if they were to have Chris Rodriguez, I'd maybe give it some more thought. But I, I'm taking Florida in this game. Um, the spread six in favor of Florida, and I, I would take that um, over under 52 and a half. I'd probably take the over here as well. Um, I think Florida gets out to a quick start, gets a couple touchdowns. Kentucky's be playing from behind, slinging it. And I think we see a lot of points here. Our listeners are going to really hate us because we are just blanking on 
blanket covering and reading the exact same right now because I got Florida winning this game. Um, I, I don't know how you can look at those two teams last week and tell me that Florida's not the better team. And this is a complete 180 from what I would have predicted a week ago. Uh, if you told me before last Saturday to pick this game, I would have told you Kentucky Steelers. And now I think Florida is going to win this game. And I think they're going to win it by a couple scores. Um, Will Levis did not look, look it. Uh, Kentucky did not look it last week. And Anthony Richardson seems to be the real deal and ridiculously talented. So, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if uh, Florida continues to, to kill it down there in the swamp um, and if Kentucky can go down there and steal away what would be a massive, massive game for them. And last up, the game that I don't know how many people will stay up for, 10-15 Eastern kick, but I think that if you are willing to stay up late, that you will appreciate this game, and that's going to be Baylor going on the road to Provo um, to play Utah uh, to play BYU, and I think that this is going to be a really fun smash mouth football game. These two teams like to run the ball and get really physical, and I think this is going to be a really fun one. Oh, I completely agree. Um, I don't know a ton about the BYU, this BYU team, but I'm a big believer in Baylor. Um, I think their offense is great. I think their defense is good enough to win them games. Um, might hurt that they're playing in Provo. Um, I guess we'll just we'll see this weekend. I'm very excited to watch this game. Yeah, I honestly know nothing about either of those teams, to be honest. So for the sake of being different, I'll take the Mormons and go BYU. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'm taking BYU too because I'm taking them at home. I don't think that that's a, I don't think that's a uh, diss on Baylor one bit, but I do think that um, Provo is going to be a, a rocking atmosphere. I think that BYU has a chance to be like Cincinnati last year um, in terms of if you if they go undefeated, the way that we're looking at it, the ACC looks bad, the Pac-12 looks bad. I think the Big 12 could beat up on itself. You, you're looking at three conference, three of the power fives, having definitely not undefeated conference champions and likely, you know, two loss conference champions. I would be really curious to see where an undefeated BYU team that plays Notre Dame later this year, that plays Arkansas later this year. They'll have three signature wins if they were to go undefeated between Baylor, Arkansas, and Notre Dame. I think that might be enough oh. for another – and that might be enough for a playoff resume. I mean, I, I clearly there's a long, long way to go. They got to win 11 games from here and three of them against great teams. But I'm just saying, I think they might have the schedule and they might have the talent if they ran the table that this could be a group five power or playoff team again. If they win those three games and end up being undefeated, I know it's a lot to ask for. And those three teams that they do beat don't end up stinking this year. I think they're definitely in 100%. I don't think you can keep them out. I, it, it's curious. I mean, you've got Notre Dame, so clearly Independence can do it. Um, I think the schedule would be stronger than what Cincy's had last year. So undefeated, I think you're right. Definitely in. Um, they're a fun team, and we'll find out how real deal they are. So that kind of covers the the games for this week. I think the last last thing we'll wrap up on. Um, We'll, we'll wait on the NFL. I think the NFL is always a little bit more difficult to kind of preseason it because so many, everyone knows kind of what to expect going into the year. And it's a lot easier to start looking at results post 
uh, week one in the NFL. But I do want to touch on um, we've brought up this topic before. Joe, I know we've done at least one podcast on this, if not more than one. Talking about playoff expansion and what we needed to go to in, in college football. And we finally got it approved last week. 12 teams. Um, it's going to be no later than beginning in 2026. Could be as early as 2024. The quarter or the very first round of games we played on campus. Um, I think that that changes come 2026 when the bowl contracts come up. I think you'll get the first two rounds. Um, the round of six, the round of 12 and the round of six, those games um, are, uh, would be done uh, on campus, I believe. But And then you do the Final Four on, on neutral sites. But, yeah, I, I guess, you know, are you guys happy? Um, do you think that this was the right way to do it? Also, they did it with, I believe it's six automatic qualifiers and six at-larges, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so, yeah, I guess happy, you know, think they did it the right way. What do you think? It's kind of bittersweet. I, I mean, on one hand, I think if you're going to do the playoff system, you got to expand it past four teams. I think the writing was on the wall there that that was going to happen. Um, it'll never solve the issue of the first, you know, two teams left out. Um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting that the three team played the 11 team this week and it wasn't even competitive. So hopefully <laughs> that gap will be ironed out a little bit more by the end of the season. But on the bitter side, I mean, this is basically the the curtain call for the the college football bowl game, in my opinion, and, and that sort of structure in general that we grew up watching. But it's it's the way the game has been trending since they decided to do the playoff system. And I think this is a more perfect way of getting at least the best teams in it um, because, you know, you're not going to leave the 15 out or the 16 out that's going to be competitive anymore. Um, you know, if you leave a 13th or 15th team out, I think that's a, a little less of an argument to be made there. So I, all in all, I'm, I'm excited for it because I think it's going to be like a true playoff and they're still gearing it where the, I might be, is it the top four teams get the first round by? Yeah. Is that how that works? Yeah, I think um, it's top four teams and then you have so you go from twelve to eight to four to two. Yeah. So I, I think that's the right way to do it. I think it'll be cool to watch. Yeah, I'm very excited as well. Um and I saw a lot of people this weekend after the Georgia game saying, Oh, Georgia beat Oregon by this many, and we're still going to a 12-team playoff. Now, I don't think Georgia, Oregon is a top-12 team in the country, even though they were ranked number 11 to start. Um, I think it's how you finish the season, not how you start it. Um, and I don't think Oregon is going to finish anywhere near the top-12 teams. <laughs> um, so, I, I don't know. I love it. I, I think more college football, more meaningful college football. I don't really care about the Alamo Bowl. Um, so, I the more – Good college football games are the better, in my opinion. But I think those, I think the Alamo Bowl and those type of games, I think that's still going to be the same way that we grew up on it of those seven and five games. What it does kill is it kills the BCS bowls. But to be fair, those have been dying very quickly with all the opt outs the last few years, and they haven't meant the same. So I think that this is going to be a, a good switch and a good change from that. Um, this won't. In my mind, it won't change the parity, the lack of parity, I think, in, in terms of that you just have these dominant teams. But I think what it does do is it brings so many more people into the fold, which is better for the overall product of college football. And it keeps more fans across the entire nation, you know, looking in each week and watching more games that maybe aren't just their team's games. Um, 
a lot of people are complaining that, oh, well, now the regular season games don't mean anything because and people point to the the Ohio State-Michigan game last year with both those two teams being top five. It was basically the winner goes to the weekend and losers out of the season. Um, but I think that game has just as much meaning because that game would then be played for a – do you get to host a first-round game? And, you know, are, or are you going on the road? Do you get a bye? I mean, I think that it's just as important when you look at it in that nature – you're, it's just it's not a do or die of your we- whether you're in the playoff or not. Um, but I think teams will still care just as much, and those games will still matter. It's just it has different um, different meanings in different uh, you know results afterwards of what it leads to. Yeah, I still think those championship games will matter. I mean, seating is definitely going to be a huge factor in in this new format, um, and. I think it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'm sure somebody smarter than me has thought of this, but if you get like Ohio State, Michigan playing back to back or twice in the season or, you know, Alabama in a rematch, but I think it does eliminate what one of the biggest issues with the four team playoff has been is like it gets very regional and then they'll try to throw in, you know, another team to expand it. Where for a couple of years there, it was like Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and then like, Ohio State or you know some other random team thrown in there so I, I think it's it's well thought out and I'm glad they didn't just you know say okay we'll do eight teams I'm glad that they just expanded it and, and made it a, a truer playoff and playing for those buys is huge to reiterate that point that you just made oh, yeah and you know I don't think a 10 seed's ever going to win the college football playoff because I think it's going to be way too hard for them to go out and beat three teams in a row I'm so much better than them but I think we'll look at it the same way we look at March Madness, where you get the you get that 14 seed over over a three seed in the first round, and how excited everybody is for that upset, and then the 14 seed just gets typically trounced the second game against whoever they play. Um, and I think it's probably gonna look like that, but it, that I don't think that knocks how much fun it would be to see that happen. The first time we see a 12 seed go out and beat a five, and then you're gonna go play the three, you know, you go play the the number one team tough and, or in the, the really fun thing, if we start getting some on-site ones, is like, think about the years. If you get a, a Bama team that loses one third race in the West and they're a, they're a six seed and they got to go on the road to, to Ohio state in December and they can go play in the snow. Something that everyone always complains. The SEC never goes to the cold. Like let's go. You're going to start to see that happen. Um, and I think those, those games are going to be, well worth everything that we're getting from the bowl games because frankly i think the bowl games are stale in these um nfl stadiums and i think that it is far better seeing it on campus uh where home field really matters and weather can can be a big factor too. Right. have they officially Anything? announced have they officially announced if it will be on campus sites or if it'll be neutral the, sites the first round games are on site um, so I believe that goes for the 12, the, when the 12 t- play 12 through, through five, nine. yeah, 12 or 12 through five and the top four game buys. Okay. So that those games will be. And then, like I said, I think you can't do it if you do start the playoff in 2024, which I hope they do, because I think that'd be a really good time to kind of do a reset in college football based off conference expansion. But in 2026, the bowl contracts end with BCS. And I think, that would be a good time to say like, Oh, Hey, you know what? We tried it the first couple of years. 
they just don't feel right of the of the round of eight. We want to move those. And and I think the first two rounds will end up being on campus. And then you'll look at the, the top four will be both sides um, and, and do a neutral side national championship. Yeah. Which I still say the yeah, national championship should be, should be played the Rose Bowl every year. I think that they should just have a one set Rose Bowl, some Mecca. Let's, let's, let's just make it easy on people. But everyone just booked their flights to Pasadena in, in August if you think it's good. <laughs> Mecca college football is in like in Nebraska, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, we'll see. Um, no, it, it's it's a lot of fun. We're we're rolling right into it. We we didn't get in the NFL this week. Um, we'll have a lot of results to talk about it as we sit here on on Wednesday. Um, Bills Rams tomorrow kick us off, and what should be a thriller to start off the year. Um, I think the NFL is going to be going to be really interesting. Um, see if you have any dominant teams or like like most years, you have a lot of really good teams and a lot of parity at the top, and and then you get to the playoffs and you never quite know what's going to happen. But this, this one's going to be fun. So good luck to all of you guys out there in your uh, your fantasy drafts if you're doing any last second drafts, and good luck to your teams. Hope they hope your players stay off IR and uh, score you lots of touchdowns week one. <laughs> I know you got got a lot of teams that uh, to worry about there. Wait, yeah, four, four leagues. Yep, four Oof. leagues. It's a lot. Oh, you in any leagues this year? I am. We did something different this year where everybody had to auto draft, so we all have completely random teams. Really? Yeah. We couldn't like we went back and forth trying to find a time that worked for everybody. We couldn't do it, and everybody was just getting annoyed that you know one person have to auto draft or somebody else. So we were just like, screw it. Everybody auto drafts. Um, See who's the real GM. <laughs> <laughs> My team is, is rough. I got a lot of receivers. Well, could be. Could be. Yeah. We'll see though. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Let's uh, let's have a good weekend of uh, we got both now. So. Let's uh, let's go out there and see what happens, and then uh, come next week, we'll we'll see where our storylines uh, line up because they they always seem to create themselves. Indeed. All right, everyone. Well, with uh, with that, appreciate you guys spending your time with us, and uh, we'll catch you next week. 